Welcome into another edition of The Front Office. I'm Tony Lombardi, along with my co-host, Brian McFarlane, and we're both with Russell Street Report. The Front Office is brought to you in part by Royal Farms. Start each morning with a hot, fresh cup of Royal Farms coffee. It's made one cup at a time from the finest coffee beans in the world. Brian, the world of social media certainly keeps things interesting, even during the so-called quiet times leading up to the draft. You know, we had Ronnie Stanley strolling down the beach and Adam Schefter's questionable tweet and reactions to Ravens fans, either plus or minus on the returns of Calais Campbell and Josh Bynes. Yeah, it's certainly an ever dull moment. And certainly Twitter is a crazy place right now with uh, people loving the moves or hating the moves. Uh, it doesn't seem to be anybody who's in between, it seems. So, um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully the next couple of weeks, everybody will start focusing on the draft and probably most of the signings will uh, subside for the next couple of weeks until after the draft and teams will start filling holes that they didn't fill through the draft with bringing some veterans in. Right. So joining us also today on the program, a friend of the program and a guy who was on the beat for the Ravens from the athletic, none other than Jeff's Rebeck. Jeff, welcome in. How you doing guys? Thanks for having me. And thanks for being here. So I wanted to ask both of you guys, you know, the, the fans take the approach to the off season and there's a, a gotta have it now kind of mentality. They watch Tampa Bay go all in and win a Super Bowl. They watch the Rams go in all in and win a Super Bowl. So you know, being a copycat league, it seems like fans really want the Ravens to go all in, but the Ravens are very, very patient. I know Eric DaCosta has said on many occasions what he learned most from his time as an understudy to Ozzie Newsom. And he always comes back with the same answer. That is patience, even though that goes against the grain of Eric's DNA to be patient. He's learned to be that way because in its totality, that's how an off season is graded. Wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I mean, that's always been, you know, I mean, the, the history is generally that the teams that go out and spend the most money are the teams that one have a lot of cap space because they don't have good players um, or two are trying to get over the hump or uh, are perpetually trying to get over the hump like you know, the Cleveland Browns, for instance. So, uh, you know, um, the patient approach has always worked for them. They seem to be willing to, you know, they're not going to go out and make three huge strikes on the first day of free agency. But when they when they have the opportunity, like with Marcus Williams, you know, they'll they'll go do that. Uh, and they've certainly done that in the past. Uh, Tony Jefferson was an example a couple of years, obviously a couple of years back. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, it's not like they don't do that. Um, but, you know, there certainly is the uh, all in approach that some teams are showing that, you know, a lot of fans are wondering maybe that maybe if that's a better way of going about things. Yeah, you know, I, I get the angst. You know, that's the way we are as a society now nowadays. Everyone wants things to happen immediately, um, you know, and they see, you know, fans see the some of the AFC North teams beefing up and just the conference as a whole getting better. And, and you know, they go, you know, they go by this narrative that, you know, the Ravens are falling behind. But, um, and I get it, but, you know, I, I always kind of try to, temper things and wait till the finished product. Let's see the team on the field in mid-July because we've seen this time and time again. 
Um, you know, the Ravens make some late off season moves, you know, Steve Smith was a late off season move and last year was Justin Houston. And there's always a guy or two every year. Um, there will almost certainly be another one of those guys this year. So they're far from done. Uh, there'll be additional players released after the draft. There will be likely a 10 player or more draft class. Um, and, uh, you know, I, look, I think the Ravens, I'm not saying they're a, 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 they're above uh, scrutiny here, guys, but I, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt to let's see how all this comes together at the end of the offseason and at the, you know, the, the, it never stops. There's always opportunity to add players. So uh, let's see in mid-July how this team looks and whether there's any gaping holes and whether Eric DaCosta and company filled holes uh, adequately and thoroughly, um, you know, before we kind of totally press the panic button or see, you know, I think they've done some nice, nice things this offseason, no doubt. I've also thought, you know, I think it's obvious the the depth chart at outside linebacker and, uh, you know, cornerback, you know, understandably produces some it should when you look at it but uh you know i'm sort of a guy who's willing to wait to see the finished product here and to see what the team looks like as they get ready for training camp rather than somebody who's going to overreact to a bunch of stuff going on around the league or uh you know through free agency to this point you know one of the positions that you just mentioned that's kind of thin for the ravens is at corner and you watch three guys that played with the Ravens last year, signed very modest contracts in Chris Westry, Tavon Young, and Anthony Avery. So you have to wonder, did they really like those guys all that much for them to let them go at such a, a modest price, particularly like Avery, who Wink Martindale said if he got the opportunity would be an all-pro. Yeah, I, I think with that, um, Brian, I, it's, you know, people are fed up with the Ravens sustaining so many injuries and, you know, you can change your training method. The Ravens are doing that. You can change your practice schedules. The Ravens are doing that. You can do a lot of different things, but if you're relying on guys who are frequently injured, you're going to deal with injuries. And it sounds so captain obvious and I'm not like, you know, trying to sound like I'm, um, you know, reinventing the wheel here and saying something so smart, but, you know, I, I, I think felt lucky that they got Tavon Young, that they got 17 games out of Tavon Young. But let's be honest, there were games he barely could play, some games he left early, some practice weeks he couldn't really go until maybe later in practice or later in the practice week. Uh, Chris Westry has had knee issues uh, throughout his young career, had extensive ones last year. Averett's had some you know, little things, but I don't know that that's necessarily an injury situation, but, you know, basically with both those guys, uh, you know, Young and Westry, it seemed like a case of, we'll offer you the minimum, uh, we'll offer you the vet minimum here, but we're going to protect ourselves because, uh, you know, there's some injury concerns there and we're not going to tie up, a, you know, some money and injury guys as much as we have in the past. You know, the Averitt one, I don't understand. Um, I, I haven't got an opportunity to talk to him or his agent. I do wonder if he just wanted to change the scenery, knowing Humphrey and, and, and um, you know, Peters were going to be back and he'd, you know, he 
he's not really slot uh, uh, inside corner. So he most likely, um, you know, would be potentially a fourth corner and he could be better than that somewhere else. But uh, I'm not sure about exactly what led to his, I would have been all over Anthony Averett on one year, 4 million to be honest, but I'm not sure about that one. But in the other cases, it just seemed like they were kind of scared off from making any commitment, even a minor one because of injuries. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with pretty much all that, Jeff. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I have a feeling Averett was, you know, he's going, going to get an opportunity to, to at least compete to start. So I think that's probably when you're looking at a one-year deal, uh, whether it was here or elsewhere, you want a chance, you know, you want the most playing time possible. So I think that's probably, you know, took Averett out of the, the Ravens running. I think Westry's the one that surprises me the most because, his deal is eight hundred and twenty-five thousand, um, which is basically the minimum for um, for for his time of service. So that certainly, you know, that wasn't about money, you know. And now, and I can't imagine he's going to get a better opportunity in Carolina. He signed with Carolina, is that right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, he, you know, right now he's looking at it would be the he'd be the third co- corner here right now. So um, that one's the one that surprises me the most. I agree with Tavon Young with injuries. Maybe it was just time, you know, to let that to let him go and and move on. But uh, Westry just seems like for you know wouldn't affect their cap at all at eight twenty five. To be honest with you, um, he wouldn't even be in the top. He wouldn't be in the top fifty one. Um, so, you know, that one's the one that surprises me the most, especially since they, you know, expressed some interest in bringing him back. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, I don't know where Westry's from. Maybe, maybe he's from Carolina. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe there's other reasons there. Um, but I'm surprised they couldn't have sweetened that offer a little to bring him back. One of the positions that provided the guys that were injured last year, come back healthy that the Ravens seem to be pretty comfortable with would be at running back with Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill all coming back from injuries. But And they have those five fourth-round picks, and that seems to be a sweet spot to find a, a competent running back who translates fairly effectively to the pros during his rookie season and could spell those guys a little bit uh, you know, as the season progresses because it's been John Harbaugh's M.O. not to really give rookie running backs a lot on their plate to start a season. But all all that said, I find it, or I found it to be really interesting that Ian Rappaport reported that the Ravens had some interest in Melvin Gordon. And then I thought about it a little bit more. I haven't really heard Melvin Gordon's name kicked around all that much, but then I thought, well, maybe this was an agent's opportunity to get his client's name out there in the lights of Twitter and try to drum up more interest in his client. Any validity to that thought process, guys? Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, – yeah, I mean, I, I was – I kind of had the same reaction you did. Now, you know, maybe there's something we don't know about one, the recovery of one of the guys. And all three of them had injuries pretty early. So, you know, they, they seemingly should all be back, assuming there are no setbacks. Um, so that did strike me as odd. I mean, you know – you, you're going to go back to a three-headed monster if I mean if if Gordon was here and Hill would be seemingly be the the odd man out. I mean they're all guys that deserve carries. Um, 
So that struck me as very odd, but, and I agree, maybe that's just the agent, maybe that, you know, maybe they touched in and just said, you know, maybe he called or maybe the Ravens called just to touch in and do their due diligence. And he's using that as an example of, of interest. Uh, you know, there's always, there's always a signing that comes out of the blue that you, you know, you never expected. So, I mean, I guess that could be it, but it does strike me as odd too. Yeah. To me, uh, Melvin Gordon makes sense for two reasons and two reasons only one if there's a there was a setback as as brian said with uh either uh, edwards or dobbins that that we don't know about and we all know how you know tight-lipped the ravens are about injuries so uh, i'm not saying i've heard that i haven't they've been generally positive uh, about both their guys progress but uh you know if there was something to happen there i could see them bringing melvin gordon i'm or if Melvin Gordon's market is just non-existent, they could get him for close to the vet minimum. And then you have a guy who's, uh, you know, scored, what, 10 touchdowns last year and averaged like 4.5 a carry, uh, you know, and not as good of a running offense as the Ravens will feature. And then you have a, a pretty uh, darn good contingency plan if, if it takes Dobbins or Edwards a while uh, to get back on track. Um but, you know, to me, I, I think a, a fourth round running back makes more sense. I think young legs, uh, some explosiveness. You find a guy with a pretty good skill set that you can develop uh, makes uh, makes a lot more sense. I mean, that 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 fifth or excuse me, that fourth round where they have five picks strikes me as a great place to find a number three tight end and a number three running back. Uh, that's at least what I would do. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, in touch and base with some Ravens people, I don't get the sense that that was a fabricated story. Um, but you know, I, 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 the sense I got is the Ravens interest would wholly depend on getting him at their price. And there's a lot of guys now on the free agent market that the Ravens would have interest in if they're willing to come in at their price, you know? So, uh, I would imagine that was probably leaked by, uh, you know, um, Melvin's agent. I mean, if you want to get another team interested or you want to try to make some money elsewhere, the Ravens, uh, with their running game is a good place to release their interest to try to pony it up elsewhere. So, uh, uh, that that you know, I wouldn't rule that one out. But again, I think it would have to be uh, uh, under you know the Ravens' conditions, and that wouldn't be a very uh, substantial deal. Jeff, you brought up some points off the air before we started this podcast, talking about this wave of free agency right now, which you might even say it's the third tier of free agency, and there are veterans that are pretty decent players that are still out there, but it's like a face-off. They have their number. The teams have their numbers. And as we get closer to the draft, the opportunities for those veterans will fall off to some degree because they might not have the ability to, the teams might not have the interest in signing them due to the fact that they spent draft capital on guys that play their positions. Yeah. It's a buyer's market right now. Um, it is a buyer's market. You're going to, you know, it's, there's a lot of good players available. Um, there's not a too many teams that have, uh, you know, cap space to add them there's, and an interest in adding them. There's a lot of teams now that at this point are committed to using, you know, filling their holes with draft picks. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, you wonder this time over the next couple of weeks if some uh, players will get antsy and, and start kind of jumping on the offers that they have 
um, worried that those offers may not exist come uh, May 1st after the draft, after teams add, inevitably add players at their position. I mean, it kind of happens every year. And then you add in the fact that some veterans are always let go after the draft. And then the pool of available players becomes even more uh, significant. So, yeah, you know, you wonder how many guys will jump at different offers, you know, like a guy like Josh Bynes, um, you know, I think his offer when all said and done, when the, when the terms are released will probably be, you know, one of those vid, um, veteran minimum salary benefit type deals. And, you know, I don't blame him for jumping at it. What if the Ravens pick an inside linebacker early and suddenly uh, that offer doesn't stand anymore uh, after the draft? So I think several other veterans are going to have to make that decision in the coming weeks. I'm sure knowing how much Eric DaCosta talks to agents and, and enjoys the whole process, uh, I'm sure multiple free agents know that the Ravens are interested at a certain price. And it's just a matter of those players engage and, and feel the, you know, you know, feel the motivation to get a deal done before this draft. There'll be some that won't they'll, they'll they're fine waiting it out like Justin Houston last year. Um, but others you'd have to think will want to get in somewhere uh, before some door closes sort before some doors close with all the draft picks that are going to happen. Brian, one of the, the topics that keeps coming up on local sports talk radio is the concept of cash over cap. And it's been beaten like a dead horse. And, you know, just for the sake of our listeners, talk about that conceptually and then talk about it, how it relates to the Ravens in 2022 and then in prior years. Yeah, I mean, so cash over cap is the idea of the actual cash you're spending. When you, when you sign a player, you're giving them a signing, whether signing or re-signing, he's getting a signing bonus, which is part of the cash he receives in the first year. For cap purposes, that's spread out over the contract, but the cash amount in that year is the full amount of the bonus. So that's and and obviously, if you sign a bunch of players, whether re-signing or, or signing outside free agents, then the more that goes up, if you go over the cap, actual cap number, it's not a it's not a, a problem because your 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 cap numbers are still within the within the uh, within the salary cap. But you spent more cash than the cap now. Um, over the years, that hasn't been that big of a deal. Some teams have, have you know, this, the, you know, when the, uh, the former, uh, well, the Washington, you know, when they in their, in their glory years of Snyder throwing money around like crazy, um, you know, with the Bruce Smiths and Deion Sanders of the world, uh, you know, they were, they were always doing cash over cap. But it, it's it, at some point that still has to be accounted for, whether it, you're not accounting for it this year, but throughout the years of the deal and throughout the future years, that has to be accounted for. And you, you can use it to push money off into the future to an extent, obviously. But at some point, you have to it has to be dealt with. And, it, and it's kind of cyclical. You know, when Flacco was here and making bigger money, you know, they were they were there, you know, they weren't necessarily going over the cap, but they were pushing the cap. And then certainly the years probably, and I don't recall, but the years that Flacco got his, you know, $30 million bonus, um, you know, they were going, you know, they were going cash over cap uh, in, in total, in the totality. So 
you know, right now the Ravens are low on that number. But to be honest with you, obviously they haven't signed any big outside free agents this year. Williams would be the only one. Uh, but they have not, you know, last couple of years, they've re-signed a lot of their, you know, their, their marquee players. And, you know, those push the cap over cap, push that number up, the cash number up, I should say. Uh, and of course this year, I mean, I, you know, I, even last year, I, I, they had every intention of signing Lamar, which would have put a, you know, a $40 million bonus on his, you know, on his plate and would have pushed the, you know, their, their cash number way up. So, it's often cyclical. I mean, if you think about it, what do they have until Campbell signed? What do they have? I mean, they don't have a lot of over 30 year olds and binds too now, but I mean, the offense, is there anybody over 30? Um, Zeitler. Is he Zeitler. Up? Zeitler. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that would be, then, then that would be probably the pretty much the only one, uh, certainly of the starters and, and the backups are all young. I mean, they have, they have a, with the exception of a couple top heavy guys in age, they have a really young roster. So, uh, you know, now they're going to have a, you know, they have a big draft class and they're picking higher in the draft. So that's going to change that cash over cap number because every rookie's getting, uh, you know, getting a signing bonus. So that's going to, that, and that's going to adjust every team's number, of course, but the Ravens is probably going to adjust more because they have one of the bigger um, uh, rookie cap numbers. So I, I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's overblown in my opinion, I don't know. I mean, I've talked to my other cap guys who, you know, from other teams who pay attention to this and, you know, nobody, nobody out there thinks the Ravens are cheap. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've never, and, and Jeff might be able to speak to this. I, you know, if he's ever heard from agents calling them cheap, I mean, I mean, you might want to call them thrifty in that, you know, they're not going to just blow you out of the water with their first option, uh, you know, with their first, uh, you know, first offer, I should say, but, you know, I mean, they've, They've always played, you know, they've always rewarded their, their star players handsomely. Um, I just think it's a lot, it's just overblown in my book. Yeah. You know, the Ravens have a reputation for being tough negotiators. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about, there's always some frustration from agents um, about how they, they're, how they negotiate at times. Um, but, you know, you look at it and Ronnie Stanley is, you know, a top five paid left tackle and Marlon Humphrey, I think is second highest paid or second or third highest paid corner. And Marcus Peters is what 10 or 11th. Uh, Mark Andrews is in the top five at tight ends. Patrick Ricard's number two at fullback. Justin Tucker's number one at kicker. Um, you, you know, and I'm sure I'm missing a, missing a few other guys, um, you know, and a, um, you know, guys like Zeitler is making a good bit and what, you know, the, so they pay a lot of guys that, you know, I, I get it. I understand, but uh, that can change real quickly when you start writing out some big contracts. And I think we, we know a couple of guys in the Ravens who are kind of due for those contracts the next couple of years. Speaking of big contracts, Deshaun Watson signs a $230 million guaranteed contract. So two part question for you guys. Number one, I want to look at this from the perspective of them having to put aside money, you know, just to, for the guaranteed portion into escrow. And I guess I want to get to the nature of how that came to be. Was that a NFLPA decision, a collective bargaining decision, or was that a decision by the owners? And if it's by the owners, do you think that as these contracts continue to climb, that that could change. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, 
the the rule came about actually back in the 90s with when they um when they when they settled their 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 big big labor dispute and the idea wasn't to be perfectly honest a lot of teams did, i mean they weren't making the money they're making now so um when you were signing guaranteed money they wanted to make sure you had the money um so that the team wouldn't in any way default and I certainly wasn't following the salary cap back then, but apparently that was a legitimate concern. And, you know, we've heard the stories about, you know, Art, Art Modell having to personally guarantee a loan to the team so that they could sign Andre Risen. I mean, at least that's the, the way the story went back, back in the mid nineties. So, um, so there, I mean, there, so that was the reasoning behind it is you couldn't over, it was, you couldn't overcommit yourself. Um, and you had to have you had to be able to have the money. So that mechanism now is with, you know, um, you have to as as of I believe it's March 1st of the following year, you have to escrow the remaining guaranteed amount due. So if Watson was what, 246, I think it was. Yeah. Um, now, he's already gotten a, a chunk of that in bonus. So obviously, they don't have to worry about that now. But by March of next year, the balance, the roughly 200 or so has to be, you know, has to be um, has to be escrowed. So so that's kind of the, the 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 reasoning behind it. I mean, I assume these teams have the ability to do something like that or it wouldn't be an issue. The Players Association would would understand that that rule doesn't make sense or they have to modify it some to allow for guaranteed contracts. It, it may be with the money these teams are making with the TV money, with the gambling money, it may not be even necessary anymore because there probably is enough money. Although Joe Banner, uh, former president of the Browns and the uh, Eagles, uh, had some good points about, you know, they need to get rid of the rule because there are some teams, the Bengals, some of the smaller market teams that, um, may not have the ability when Joe Burrow comes up, for example, um, you know, to, to put up that kind of, you know, 200, 250, they, that may really actually stretch their operating budget. Um, so he, he thought that this was, uh, that this was going to change everything. Cause it was going to change. It would have to change that rule. And of course, because, uh, you know, quarterbacks are going to be, as we're probably about to see demanding uh, fully guaranteed deals. Now, speaking of the fully guaranteed deals, guys, you, you've got Deshaun Watson, despite his you know, civil suits and whatnot that he's facing, he, he's making more money than anybody in the history of the league, guaranteed. Typically, the next guy up for a contract, and, and Lamar Jackson's right there, contract discussions seem to start with the, those kinds of deals. And I don't think anybody would argue that Lamar Jackson is as good as Deshaun Watson. So... Do you think that that is overly influential in what Steve Bishotti and the Ravens will have to do with Lamar? Or do you think that that's just an outlier and the Ravens are going to do what the Ravens are going to do? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, and Steve Bishotti, when, when a small group of us spoke to him a couple of weeks ago at the owners meetings, he kind of made the point that, look, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean that's necessarily how we're going to do things. Um, and he made clear to add, they, you know, they're not ruling that out or he didn't really go into depth in, in weighing the positives and negatives. But he just said, look, we do things in our own way. Um, you know, stuff works for us. And 
just because another team does something else doesn't mean we have to overreact to it. But, man, I, I would think with that deal, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Lamar, um, you know, to, uh, if circumstances, you know, let's say he comes out and has a great season this coming year and, you know, if circumstances uh, dictate that he gets a, a huge deal, I think he's going to get paid well any way you look at it it's going to be a lot of pressure on him to, to get a similar deal like that. Um, you know, and the questions will be, you know, how, how does, how does this guy who's dealing with all the off the field stuff, at, um, you know, that Watson is get this kind of deal. And yet, you know, Lamar Jackson, the face of the Ravens, who's uh, won a ton of games, um, not been involved in trouble off the field. How, how can he get that deal? So I'd have a hard time believing it's not going to have be some influence uh, over the process and uh, good for Bashadi for actually coming right out and and kind of saying what he said that he doesn't know that Watson should have been the first guy to get that deal and and saying it's going to impact you know other quarterback negotiations you know I was at the owners meetings and a lot of people were whispering that uh, anonymously but uh, good for Steve for coming right out and saying it and not worrying about how it was perceived or how he may have offended the Haslam's or Deshaun Watson or anybody so uh, I, I have to think that you know Steve Eric and, and the Ravens Braid Trust kind of uh, you know I can't imagine they were too pleased when they saw that come down with Watson and, and that goes far beyond just having him in their division now. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, I can see it from both sides. I mean, obviously, precedent is set. Um, and if if a guy, you know, with with the checkered past can get that, then Lamar certainly has every right to say, I, I you know, I deserve that. And, and he, I think he's got a, he's got a good argument from, you know, in of itself, he's got a good argument there. But I think the Ravens and any other team. Well, you know, when it comes to quarterbacks or any other player have, well, you know, it was the Browns, they were desperate. They, you know, they traded the farm for him and, you know, they had to, you know, um, they had to do what they had to do. And they're obviously trying to break their, their cycle of, um, of disappointment. So, and frustration and failure. So, uh, you know, unfortunately I think it's been coming. I think a lot of people thought Aaron Rodgers in his last deal was going to push for not this one he just he just revised, but the prior one that he was going after after Mahomes got his deal that he was going to be uh, pushing for a fully guaranteed. But he's older, and I think that was the you know the the drawback for him for argument's sake. But I think now for you know Lamar still being one of the youngest uh, you know quarterbacks with the experience he already has. I think he's got a pretty good argument for it. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out for sure. And obviously it doesn't sound like anything's going to happen. So if he, you know, if they, if he had, if they have to tag him next year and the year after, I think that I think his argument for fully guaranteed perhaps grows even more. Uh, he'll be older, but he'll still amazingly be pretty young um, at that point. So um, I, you know, I think that argument continues to grow, but if, if, if they can't get into the table, they're just going to have to let it fly out and see where it ends up. You're listening to the front office, a Russell street report product. My name is Tony Lombardi with my co-host, Brian McFarland. Our special guest today is Jeff Zarebeck from the athletic. I wanted to remind everyone that the front office is brought to you by Royal farms. Royal farms features the area's best chicken and sandwiches. And don't forget the Royal farms rewards program 
for you and your loyalty with their ROFO rewards program. So check that out at ROFO.com. So Jeff, you were at the owner's meeting down in Boca and we're not Boca. That was in uh, West Palm. And, you know, you had an opportunity to sit down with Steve Bishotti. What are some of your biggest takeaways from that conversation with Steve? You know, I, I think the big, well, first of all, every time you talk to Steve, you're always impressed with how honest he is and um, how seemingly comfortable he is too. And just being himself and, and answering whatever, no negative, positive questions, regardless, um, you know, it, it makes you, it's sort of, and I know Tony, you, you've interviewed him, uh, you know, before too, and he just, it's just so, he just looks like he's in his element, but yet he doesn't like doing it, you know? So he hides it pretty well. His, his, I don't know, but I don't, discomfort may be a little strong, but I, you know, he preferred not talking at all. I, that's just the way he wants to be the owner. He doesn't want to, you know, constantly see his name in the headlines and, and feel like he's speaking for the team. Um, but, you know, it's always, I think one of the, you know you're going to get honest answers from Steve, but I think how positive he was um, about the team, about the direction, about the job John Harbaugh's doing, about how the roster looks, about the opportunities there are in the draft. Now, I didn't expect him to sit up there and be like, yeah, man, we're in trouble. You know, we're losing ground in the AFC, but – I think we all know Steve's not much of a BSer. Uh, he'll tell you what's on his mind. I mean, you know, we've heard him in the past say, you know, he considered firing John Harbaugh. We've heard him challenge, you know, Cam Cameron and, and do other things. Uh, but I think he feels reasonably uh, excited and, and positive about the direction this team is headed. Um, you know, him admitting he sort of couldn't be disappointed after last year, even with the six straight losses, just because how hard the team played and how much they lost. And he had come to the conclusion that they weren't going anywhere in the playoffs anyway, even if they got in and, you know, okay, great. They get the 14th draft pick. I, I think that's pretty honest stuff for the owner. And, and uh, you know, I think it gives you a glimpse into sort of the mindset of the front office and, and the coaches that, you know, obviously not everything went very well last year, but in all they lost and the historic amount of injuries they had, that they were right there. I, I think they took a lot more positives out of last year than an outsider must think. And, uh, you know, Steve's always relaxed, but he was a little more upbeat uh, when we spoke to him than, than, than he's been in some of those other uh, – you know, he hasn't talked in a while, but in some of those previous sessions, there was a year where I used to get him every every year there at the owners' meetings. Uh, but it's been a while. But he was a lot more upbeat and positive uh, about the direction of the team. I mean, there's no ultimatums. There was no challenges. It was, you know, look, I'm I feel really good about the direction of this team, the leadership team. I feel good about Sashi Brown. Uh, you know, let's go. I'm excited for the season. I, I, you know, I was, I was really taken by how upbeat he was about everything. He's just a guy that when you sit and talk to him and you listen to his responses, it's as though he takes you on somewhat of a journey and, I have to admit there were a couple of times in questions that I've asked him that I wasn't really sure where he was going with it, but he was basically just painting a picture for my own edification so that I would understand his conclusion a little bit better. And I just think it's really interesting how he 
how thoughtful he is with his answers. And, you know, it, it, you're right. He is brutally honest. And I think that's, I find that refreshing. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, and whatever people's reactions were to his quotes on Deshaun Watson, um, you know, I, I respect the fact that he was willing to put his name on something that so many other owners and GMs and head coaches were saying quietly, but wouldn't have their name on it. I, I, I always find his honesty uh, about all things refreshing. You know, it's gotten in trouble at times. Uh, you know, sure, I, I'd have to imagine the whole thing about Harbaugh when he admitted he considered making a coaching change. That sort of uh, was an issue for a little while that they had to work through. And, you know, I remember the one time he got fined for saying something about Haloti Nada. You got fined for tampering from the league, which I know didn't sit too well with him. So, yeah, I think sometimes he, he is he is brutally honest and uh, his honest, you know, his honesty, you can be taken aback by it a little bit. But, hey, isn't that what fans want? I mean, we're always criticizing uh, people for you know, not saying a whole lot and, and speaking in cliches and, and kind of not being willing to, you know, put their name on it. That's never been an issue with Steve. Yeah. We, I think everybody appreciates the work you did to get that information out of him. Cause it's been a few years. And like you said, Jeff, he's a guy that when you sit, when he finally does talk, you feel really good about the things that he says. And then you start to wonder, I wish he'd do this annually. Again. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot to swallow at one sitting, but it's, it really gives a real good peek behind the curtain of the castle out there. One winning drive. Now I, I did want to talk about a few other players and, you know, you look at the Ravens roster and you think going into the off season that they had to fix the offensive line. They had to create more pressure getting after the quarterback and they had to be able to stop giving up these big plays and so when you think of those things, and then you look at what they've done so far, Morgan Moses was a, a value pick or a value signing, I think, for three years, $15 million roughly. And, you know, I know that they didn't they let Bradley Bozeman go. So Pat McCarry looks like he's going to be the incumbent at center, and they paid him accordingly. But you just get the feeling that they haven't addressed it enough to make it much better than last year, unless, of course, Ronnie Stanley – is going to be back for the first game of the season. Now, I know that Ravens Twitterverse got pretty excited when they saw a video of Ronnie strolling down the beach without a noticeable limp. So anything anything you're hearing, Jeff, in terms of how Ronnie's rehabilitation is coming along and, and where he might be in terms of his, his schedule? You know, I, I was doing something – kind of like a news notes column uh, for the athletic for later this week. And, you know, I sort of brought this up and I think when people have heard Eric DaCosta address it this off season, he's sort of been vague, you, you know, and not said a whole lot. Um, he has said that, you know, Ronnie's that he's been in touch and Ronnie said he's further ahead and what he said were, has been positive, but there hasn't been a whole lot of detail. And some people have taken that as, Oh, you know, there, there must be, you know, there must be hearing bad things and they don't want to say anything about, I take it as the opposite kind of, you know, I think Eric admitted um, publicly that he erred last year in the handling of Ronnie Stanley situation. Uh, he was much way too optimistic about what Ronnie, how quickly Ronnie will be ready and what he'd be able to do once he was. 
Um, and he admitted that was a mistake that sort of uh, hovered over the season. So he's not going to start talking and pumping him up and talk about how great he is and how he'll be ready a week one. He's not, you know, we all know Eric, he's not going to make that same mistake again. So uh, I fully expected him to downplay it and not give out too many details. Uh, but by all accounts, things are going well for Ronnie Stanley. Um, you know, that's what everyone's pretty much said. I mean, I, I was, you know, knowing that Steve Bashotti really doesn't play games and dealing with the media that he didn't even mention left tackle as a need resonated with me a little bit. Maybe, maybe it was just an oversight, but I don't think so because he reiterated on multiple opportunities that we really only feel our offense needs a couple backup pieces. He said an eighth offensive lineman, a third tight end, a third or fourth running back. He did not mention a starting caliber left tackle. Um, is was that all part of a game because the Ravens want that guy to fall to him at 14? Who knows? But as I said, Bashadi usually doesn't play those kind of games. So um, I think you know there's a long way to go. They're not, they don't, they know they're likely not gonna have Ronnie Stanley on the field in mid to late July, whenever training camp starts. Um, but you know, all things indicate so far that. Rehab's going well, and and I think they're hopeful and optimistic. I think that's probably fair to say. Brian, with regard to Stanley, and and let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's say he has another setback, and his career is called into question because this is just one of those things, a hump that he can't get over. What are the salary cap ramifications moving forward? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously that won't be determined till next offseason, even if he plays and it's clear that, you know, he's never going to return to all-pro status. Um, you know, it's going to hurt. I mean, assuming he continues to want to play and isn't retiring, they'll still have about $22 million, I believe, in dead money to, um, to have to deal with. Um, so it's obviously, it's, it's still a chunk of change. Now they could do a post June one release and spread that out. Um, but it's still, it's, it's, you know, it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty number there. Um, so that's going to be, um, that's going to be a difficult thing for them to, uh, you know, to have to, uh, have to deal with, um, in fact, actually, it's actually it's up to twenty nine. I forgot because as of so as of this past uh, March twenty second, uh, part of his base salary for twenty twenty three became fully guaranteed. So, um, so you know that's not going to be pretty uh, to have to deal with. So, I mean, that's unfortunately it's you know the catastrophic injury on a on a big deal like that. It's going to happen. Every team's going to have to deal with it at some point. Um, if he were retire, um, it's still going to be the same because he's not well. If he retired, he, they wouldn't owe him that six point seven five uh, guarantee for next year's salary, so that would get it back down to the twenty two. But if they're going to cut him, uh, it's going to be painful. Yeah, let's hope that that little stroll down the beach is a sign of good things to come for Ronnie. Now, another tackle that the Ravens signed last year, I thought it was an interesting signing. Juwan James hasn't played a lot of football in, what, three seasons, guys? And I know Jeffy saw him out there during practices late last year, and there was some 
speculation as to whether he might even suit up late in the 2021 season, but he did not. A- any thoughts on him going into the season and, and what do you think his role could be? Yeah, you know, DaCosta sort of gave a positive report on him too. You know, I think we're all wondering, did they not like what they see and, and could he possibly be a cap casualty? Um, Brian could could talk more. I think it was they would have saved what about three point six, Brian, or if they cut him. Yeah, I think it's three point five. Yeah, yeah, three point five. And so we wondered, but they didn't. And DaCosta said he's very much in their plans. Uh, I just think Tony, you know, he's part of their effort to get as much tackle depth as possible. And if they have an excess, great. Because if they have an excess, that means Ronnie Stanley is healthy, and that means Morgan Moses is playing well at right tackle. If 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 um, Juwan James is your swing tackle, if Juwan James gets through you know the summer healthy and is your swing tackle. I think that's a pretty good situation. I know he doesn't have a whole lot of experience at le- on the left side, um, but I'm sure they'll get him some reps there. You, you know, I, there's nothing promised. Juwan James has played three games in three years. He's got to go out in late July and August and win a job. And, and I think that's fair for a, a player. You know, I, I know this is, a, you know, was once a very high-paid guy, but where he's at in his career and just for the fact that he hasn't played, he just needs to get on the field, stay there, get some reps, and, and win a job. And if he does, and if he's their third or fourth tackle, wow, now you've got some really quality tackle depth. And uh, that's a good problem to have after what we watched last year. Patrick McCarry, three years, what was it, Brian? 15 million and change, 15 and a half million? Yes. So that, I got to tell you guys, when he signed that deal late last year, my, from my lens, that just seemed to be, well, he was rewarded because he's a very valuable guy given his versatility. But I really didn't expect him to be the starting center. But as we get closer to this season, it's sounding more and more like, unless something happens differently in the draft, that he will, in fact, be the center. Now, I, I know that fans, when they think of Patrick McCarry at, at center, the, the first thing that comes to their mind is what happened in that divisional playoff game up in Buffalo and how Lamar Jackson ended up on the carpet. So – What's the buzz, Jeff, within the building or from what, you know, things that you've heard about Patrick McCarry and the potential of him being starting center for the Ravens? Yeah, first of all, I think they they really have a lot of respect for the guy, for how how he prepares, how hard he works, how accountable he is, um, you know, his durability, all that. Um, you know, I think in a perfect world, Tony – He's a six, six offensive lineman. I don't think they would disagree with that. But in saying that, I also don't think they'd be, you know, fearful or, or worried at all that he wouldn't acquit himself well and be a competent starting center. I, I, you know, it would be nice if they had grade A options at every offensive line position. You know, you had a stud center, maybe Linderbaum as a first round pick. And, you know, you had a healthy Ronnie Stanley at left tackle maybe you drafted a guard early but that was never realistic I mean they have a lot of assets as it is invested in the offensive line uh you you need some of these unfortunately you're not going to have plan a at all five spots and I think all along if they were paying Patrick McCarry that money that they signed him to in terms of the extension last year 
to be their six offensive linemen, they were going to be okay with that just because how valuable it is how to have that guy that can play all five positions. But if he was to start for you, I think they'd be okay with that too. I don't necessarily feel like it would be necessarily be plan A, but I, I think they understand when you try to make the pieces fit along the offensive line and, and throughout the roster and use the assets they do have to improve the, the totality of the roster, there are going to be some ex- positions where you, you kind of have to settle a bit and you say, you know what, this is the best case scenario, but it's good enough and we could use resources at other positions. And I think that's kind of how they're looking at center. Um, if there's a guy that falls in their lap at a place where they want him, I think they'll take him. Um, I wouldn't rule out Linderbaum. I think it's unlikely at 14, but what happens if they trade back or what happens if Linderbaum falls a little and he's still available maybe early in the second? Could they go up and get him then? You know, I wouldn't rule that out. So uh, I think they're OK with Patrick McCarry starting. They realize it's not the best case, but they also know that they only have so many resources to improve this roster. And uh, they got a guy already on the team that's at least capable of being a, a, a serviceable center. I don't think the difference between Bozeman and McCarry's is big as everyone thinks it is maybe that's just me I think yeah I think Bozeman is a slight upgrade but I don't think it's that distinctive uh where you wouldn't be okay with it and you don't say wow they made a huge downgrade there I don't see it as that at all yeah I mean I would agree with that I think you know if you think about the Ravens philosophy uh pre-draft is generally we want to have somebody we're comfortable with penciled in at every starting spot. Doesn't mean he's the greatest, but somebody we feel we can go into action with. And then we, that way we can draft, you know, our, our, you know, our best available player and then fill in from there. So, I mean, I think when, you know, and when you look at the the hopes now, whether this was a Ravens hopes or fans hopes, but, you know, Ryan Jensen was high on the, you know, uh, list of, of hopes if Jensen sides, then Macari's probably penciled in at the right tackle spot, pending whatever happens in the draft. Well, Jensen didn't work out, so you go and you know then they sign Moses, and that shifts Macari over to uh, to the to the center spot. And again, as Jeff just said, that you know that's pending drafting somebody. You know, you could draft a center in the third or fourth round or fifth round, and. Um, you know, and that guy, you know, guys have started from from that spot at center before, not not with the Ravens necessarily. But so, yeah, you never know. And, uh, you know, that's that with all those fourth round picks, that seems like a, a decent spot to get somebody, you know, unless, as as uh, as Jeff said, Linderbaum or to, to falls in some way. So I think that just fits their philosophy. And um, and I agree. I thought Macari, other than, you know, the snaps. Because, I mean, he replaced uh, – um, was the guy who replaced who had the trouble? Scora, Matt Scora. Sure. Scora, right. And that was a snap problem. And then Macari had them, but he never really got a chance after that season to fix it. Um, and now that he's had more experience around the offensive line, and, you know, I, 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 I'm not as worried about him. And I agree. I don't think he's such a terrible downgrade. Uh, I don't think Bozeman ever missed some snaps. But he also – he floated a lot of them back, yeah. not a whole lot of velocity. And, you know, that, that, that creates timing issues sometimes for the offense. A lot of times Lamar had to kind of reach down and reach forward for them. So, um, you know, I, that he, while it was never disastrous, it, it was still an issue in my mind. Real quick, Tony, um, you, you've covered plenty of pre-Ravens draft luncheons and you know the whole bit, but 
Derek said on two different occasions, there's ways to find centers um, in the draft that net didn't necessarily play center. Um, you know, uh, some center, you know, you, you can, they, they study video and, and all that, you know, they watch these guys get reps at different positions. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they pick another offensive lineman with the goal of kind of transfer, you know, transitioning him to center, you, you know, at some point, which was Ryan Jensen, you know, Ryan Jensen was a tackle. Um, so I, Eric doesn't say anything haphazardly in those press conferences. Uh, you know, you may not, it may not resonate, resonate at the time, but usually when you look back on it, it will say, wow, he hinted at this. So it would not surprise me if they're looking at guys that potentially aren't centers or maybe he's a, a college guard or college tackle and feel like he projects best as an NFL center. Uh, that wouldn't shock me at all. And, and they could probably get that guy again. You know, with these five fourth-round picks, you could probably find a pretty decent developmental offensive lineman in that group, and maybe you project him as the center of the future, and you feel like either, uh, you know, McCarry and Cologne are uh, pretty good stopgaps just for one year. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting how Joe Ortiz talked about finding inside-outside guys that create pressure on the quarterback, you know, having guys that they're seeing some college teams use their guys inside on third down in situations like that. So I thought that that was pretty interesting as well. Brian, right now, where are the Ravens cap wise? Yeah. So they are about 4 million um, with um, pending the, the binds deal. Now I don't think the binds deal. I mean, he signed basically minimum salary contracts the last four years counting the year um, he wasn't here. So uh, I, that's not going to make any major impact on that. Um, that is, um, that's enough to, that would be just enough to cover their draft picks, um, uh, signings, but obviously at some point soon, and maybe it is around draft time, they're going to have to create some space. They haven't needed it. So there was no reason. I know a lot of fans are going crazy. Why haven't they done this? Why haven't they done that? Well, until they need it. They haven't, you know, there's no need to do it because it, if they if they got shut out of free agency, uh, things just didn't work out. They wouldn't necessarily need it. So, um, you know, Humphrey's the easy one, seven million there. Obviously, maybe they're still hoping to get an extension done, whether it doesn't sound like it's going to be Lamar, but, you know, hope springs eternal, I guess, or or maybe Peters um, or maybe somebody else that will create a little cap space. They've still got Boykin to release if they decide to do that. Um, but they haven't done it yet. And maybe they're hoping during the draft, they can get some kind of, you know, uh, late round pick there, but, you know, until they need it, um, they haven't needed it. So, but coming, come post draft when they're signing undrafted free agents and, and, you know, then starting to sign their draft picks, that's around the time they're going to need to do at least something. And the biggest number that they could create is if they do in fact have a, an extension with Lamar, Jeff, I know that the scuttlebutt seems to be that Lamar just doesn't want to focus on this right now, that he doesn't even answer phone calls regarding – he just doesn't want to talk about it. He wants to let his performance on the field, at least that's the way I take it, in 2022 speak for the, what his contract should look like going forward. Have you heard anything different from that, or is that your belief? No, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's kind of – you know, that's kind of all you hear, and, and it's – it's becoming more and more clear. I know John Harbaugh was on the Rich Eisen show and he mentioned it, that, that he, um, 
he and Eric met with Lamar in his, you know, they, they, um, I'm blanking on the term, but they meet with every player, just about every player before they head out of town for the off season, kind of going away meetings. Um, and they met with Lamar and, and Harbaugh said, told Rich Eisen that Lamar pretty much laid this out exactly and let him know where he stood, where they stood and kind of indicated that this was his plan not to, not to do anything, uh, for a contract this off season. So, you know, I, I, I think if you're the Ravens, you have to, you know, constantly check in. Well, first of all, you should be doing that anyway, but I think you have to constantly check in and, and, and kind of get a feel for where things are at, but you also, you know, look, it, you can't force him to do anything. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have an agent. So it's not like you could be working behind the scenes on this. You're dealing directly with him. You don't want to be constantly calling him and badgering him if he's already made clear that this is what he wants. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's kind of a balancing act for Eric DaCosta. And, uh, you know, um, I, I don't expect really any you know, would I be shocked if there's, you know, there's kind of, he gets in here for the off season workout program, which I believe starts next week and, uh, or even later this off season, he's enjoying it. He likes how things are coming together and he, you know, Hey, why not listen? No, I wouldn't be shocked by that, but I mean, Lamar's a guy of conviction, um, you know, and I just think at this point, I don't expect any change in his stance. You just kind of deal with it and, and you make the best of everything and, and construct a, as good as a ro roster as possible around his 20, 23 million. Ryan, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that certainly seems the way, you know, the way it is. And I think, you know, as Jeff said, the fact that he doesn't have an agent where the cost and the agent can lay a little groundwork down um, makes it harder because there's, you know, there's probably no groundwork, you know, there's no, all right, let's start here. Let's, or let's pick up where we left off. It sounds like, you know, there's, there really wasn't much of anything, um, or, or that's it, at least it's relevant now because any offers that happened, you know, last spring, obviously the market has changed so drastically and all the, all the other factors with guarantees and things like that. So, you know, you know, and I, I, Lamar doesn't, you know, there doesn't seem to be pushback um, from Lamar that that's the way, you know, that that's the way thing, you know, that the Ravens are trying to snow the fans and they're lowballing him. And that's why there's no action. I mean, he, there's no pushback from him to, uh, for that narrative that he's not, he's not interested right now. So um, he seems like, you know, maybe he just wants to play this out hit the franchise tag. If he feels that gives him the ultimate leverage, um, or whether he just wants to, you know, theories out there that he'll play through tooth tags and then, you know, become a free agent and then, the, you know, let the market decide what he's worth. Um, you know, he's, he's betting on himself and, you know, we saw that with Flacco, it worked out. So, uh, you know, they won a Super Bowl this year and he's going to be in the same position Flacco was in and it's going to be hard not to give him 50 million fully guaranteed. So maybe that's the idea. Maybe that's his hope. Well, then the guy's worthy of putting his money where his mouth is and, and, and he got the job done. So that I think that anybody would be happy if a Super Bowl was in Baltimore or, or if a Super Bowl championship was brought to Baltimore and Lamar Jackson was leading the team to that. So any last minute moves do you guys expect? I'll start with you, Jeff, in terms of between now and the draft, which is just a little over two weeks away. 
Um, I, I don't, I, not, nothing specific, uh, Tony, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they made a couple more additions here. I, I mean, we talked about why some veterans may want to get in now. They have some clear, you know, there's two clear areas, I think, where they still could add a veteran. We're talking cornerback and edge rusher. And, you know, I, I sort of was looking at it today. And I, I mean, I think both are buyers markets right now. Um, you look at, you know, you look at edge rusher and there's just, I, I guess, Melvin Ingram is visiting with the Dolphins, but there hasn't really been a, an edge rush agreement for about three weeks now. I think Derek Barnett with the Eagles and even the Eagle fans will, will kind of not, not exactly describe that as being overly significant. Um, but there's, a, there's just so many guys out there, you know, the Carlos Dunlaps and Jason Pierre Pauls and Ingrams and Justin Houston and Trey Flowers and Jerry Hughes and, you know, Rasheem Green, who the Ravens already met with. So there's opportunities there. These guys, are most of these? I mean, we know Clowney's going to get his. He always waits and always seems to get close to his number. But so many of these other guys, kind of like Justin Houston last year, are going to be looking at one year kind of cheap deals. And, you know, the same goes kind of for cornerback. You know, I mean, Stephen Gilmore's still out there. Uh, but there's, you know, so many other guys, you know, like established veterans who, who could be solid you know, number two or number three options, you know, like Chris Harris and Joe Hayden and Bryce Callahan, Steven Nelson. So uh, it's a buyer's market right now. And that's usually when the Ravens and Eric DaCosta do their best work and kind of getting some of these guys in on cheap deals. So um, they have plenty of roster space. I, I was looking at it. I think they have only 64 now on their roster. And obviously they're going to have a big draft class and a big undrafted class. Uh, but there's room to add a couple more veterans. And whether it's in the next couple of weeks or it's, you know, it's in May or, or June sometime, they're not done in free agency. We'll, we'll see multiple free agent additions before all said and done. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, and I, it wouldn't surprise me either if you see a you know a minor player or two brought back over the next uh, two weeks um, just to solidify some depth, and then not you know not have to feel compelled in the draft again to you know to reach for somebody or or focus on a specific position. So, you know, I, a veteran corner or even a younger veteran corner, uh, maybe with some upside being brought in. Uh, if somebody fits the nickel role, then certainly uh, as well there. And then, I mean, because let's face it, I mean, right now they they need four corners. I mean, if you if you're going to carry six, do they really need four? Am I forgetting? Is am I forgetting somebody on? I mean, maybe Seymour down the, you know. Um, but you know, I mean, the guys you really want to you you really want to feel comfortable with. Uh, they need a lot, and they're not going to draft four corners. So somewhere along the line, they're going to have to bring veterans in or, um, you know, somebody to fill those spots. Uh, I don't think you're going to want to do it with undrafted free agents. So if, assuming they draft two corners out of their 10, I, yeah, I can't imagine they would draft more. Um, so, you know, so that certainly, and there's space and edge and, you know, uh, even a, I guess a veteran tackle doesn't make sense now with, with James there, but I certainly see in the draft a tackle or two. Um, perhaps being drafted since they have 10 picks. So, 
And then there's just, you know, they just always come up with somebody uh, that you mentioned uh, before the call, LJ Ford could be a guy they could bring in, special teams guy as well. So, yeah, I, I, I think they could have, you know, a, a signing or two in the next two weeks. But obviously the main focus is certainly on the draft and then after filling what they didn't get uh, through the draft. Well, that's our program for this week, fellas. Thank you so much for your time. This was really good, enjoyable 67 minutes that we had a chance to talk about the Ravens and get an update on things, all things Ravens. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Russell Street Report. I can be found at RSR Lombardi. Brian can be found at Raven Salary Cap. And Jeff at Jeff Zarebeck. That's J-E-F-F-Z-R-E-B-I-E-C. Did I get that right, Jeff? Absolutely. All right. You can also follow us on YouTube at Russell Street Report. And please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Also, be sure to check out ravensdraftcentral.com with James Ogden, Dev Pantois, and Nikhil Mehta. They're doing some great work there, everybody. And James and Dev's podcast under Ravens Draft Central can also be found where you get your podcast. So thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch up with you again next week on the front office.